0: So today's uh, Remembrance Sunday. Uh, We had a service of Remembrance this morning and we were thinking this morning that there is something glorious about people being prepared to, to, to die, to give their lives for others. But we also have to accept, there's something tragic about it, isn't there? something deeply tragic about death itself. In fact, not only death in the trenches, not only young death, actually, to be honest, all death is tragic. At uh, Steve Jobs' memorial service, his uh, sister spoke and she said, all deaths occur in media res, I didn't know what it meant either, I looked it up, um, it means in the middle of the story. You, you might think that um, now your life will come to a satisfying conclusion and there will be a day when you're entirely happy about dying because your story is completed. But she was saying, and I think it is, it, it is true, even a long life, even a satisfying life when it comes to an end just feels wrong it's tragic actually the reality of our death casts I think a shadow over all of our life, that's why um, to be honest most of us spend most of our time trying not to think about it. Um, there was a, uh, um, a poet, Irish poet of a previous era, Brendan Behan, who was a, a bit of a drunkard as well. He drank himself to an early grave. Um, a uh, reporter who uh, was charged to sit by him in his hospital wrote this. I remember in the Middlesex Hospital, waiting guiltily for the last words of Brendan Behan for a newspaper. Brendan, I whispered, do you ever think about death? He sat up. Think about death, he shouted. I'd rather be dead than think about death. (laughs) Woody Allen said, I don't mind dying as long as I'm not there when it happens. that's, That's the way... We uh, function so often. That's how we survive in life. Or um, alternatively, we try to transcend our own death. We try to create some sort of immortality, something that goes on beyond us. We, we strive hard um, for that. Arthur Miller, uh, the playwright in his play The Death of a Salesman, Tells a story of a of a uh, of a salesman who who was just like that, and yet in later uh, in his middle years he realised he was a failure, and he had to face up to his own mediocrity. Miller said in an interview that the play stemmed from a need greater than hunger or sex or thirst. A need to leave a thumbprint somewhere on the world. A need for immortality. And by admitting it, the knowing that one has carefully inscribed one's name on a cake of ice on a hot July day. That's, that, that, that's the truth of it. We either live our heads... uh, live our lives burying our heads in the sand or we live our lives trying to face up to the reality of death and discovering as Shakespeare put on the, uh, the lips of Macbeth that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Nope. It's brutal death. And if there is no hope beyond death Life cannot help but be overshadowed um, by its reality. The Greeks who had a minimal uh, understanding of uh, life before death and minimal levels of hope Uh, it is not by accident that they are the ones who gave us tragedy. Tonight though we're going to Look at something extraordinary. Verse 28 of chapter 5 that Janice read to us. Don't be amazed at this. Jesus says, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. That's extraordinary. That shapes the whole of life. That claim is massively important for us to examine and that's what we're going to look at this evening. Let me just sketch in where we've got to in John's Gospel so we have some sense of context so far. After the, uh, the prologue where, where John introduced um, uh, uh, what was happening in the, in the heavenly realm so, so to speak in, uh, in chapter 1 um, John gives us uh, starts to give us a whole series of signs that point them um, uh, uh, to aspects of who Jesus is. and uh, The first two signs in some ways serve as a pair. The first one is in John chapter two look uh, uh, to page one thousand and sixty four We looked at it a, a few weeks ago. Jesus changes water into wine. Jesus announces his arrival. Um, by massively augmenting a party, you know this. This is good news. Jesus coming, and he uh, and John wants to to set that down really clearly right at the beginning in chapter two. Uh, we didn't look at it um, uh, last week with with Lance, but uh, we can glance at it now. The end of, of the second one of this opening pair is at the end of chapter four, where Jesus heals an official son in John 4:43 to the end of the chapter this son who is facing death is healed simply with a word by Jesus so 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 two miracles two signs there form a sandwich and it's very interesting what is what is the, the meat in that sandwich what comes between chapters 2 and 4 first of all you get chapter 3 you get Jesus meeting a religious man Who turns out to be completely in the dark. He cannot see what Jesus uh, understand, what Jesus is telling him that you must be born again. We looked at that. And then, second, with Lance, we find an irreligious woman with a distinctly dubious uh, past, who actually, through meeting Jesus, has her life completely transformed and she Uh, proclaims that he's the saviour of the world Here, here, here are two kinds of people who are very important in John's gospel and they both give us a complete surprise the religious people are in the dark the man who's come from God and this woman who's had five husbands how come she gets to see? That's that's something of what John wants to introduce us to um, between those two signs at the beginning as he then moves on. So John chapter 5, this miracle at the beginning of John chapter 5 is the third of those signs um, and it's not that dis- dissimilar um, to, to, to the other ones but what is drawn out of it develops what John wants to tell us. What chapter John, uh, the, the miracle, the healing at the pool as it's titled, um, tells us uh, I think is that Jesus is more powerful than nature. So there's this man at the, uh, at the, at the pool um, near the sheep gate where is this pool in verse 2. Um, uh, and uh, a, a large number of people uh, are, are gathered around it. They understand that when the waters are stirred, who knows what, uh, uh, what stirs them, this is the moment for, the, for the, the first person who gets into the water to be healed. And when I first read that uh, story myself, I thought clearly, Johnny's, Johnny's going to be making a comment on superstition. So Jesus is going to come in and he's going to speak into, into a, a world of, of, of superstitions. But as I looked at it a little bit more carefully, I, I, I started to doubt that. Um, for one thing, you will um, notice that there's no verse 4. That's because, as the uh, footnote shows, a bit about an angel coming down and stirring up the waters has been taken out because um, scholars agree that it was added later, that sort of superstitious element. Um, was added in. John himself does not want to add that little uh, bit into the story. And as I thought about it, I realised that frankly, people are simply working according to the best understanding that they have. People had clearly been healed in the pool, and they concluded that it was when, uh, when the water stirred up, perhaps from a spring, perhaps it did bring some some uh, new elements into the water which were helpful for some, uh, some conditions. And so they were waiting for um, that the moment when they could be healed. We may look aghast, but then frankly we look aghast at the best medicine there was 200 years ago, when people equally were, were working according to the best knowledge that they had. And who knows, in 200 years' time, They may look back at 2011 and say, did they do that in their hospitals? So I don't think we're to see this as being a comment on superstition. I think we're to see these people as working according to the best knowledge that they had. It's a comment on science. What can can science do What can our understanding of nature, uh, which which is always limited and always provisional and may always be superseded, what can what can people working according to their best understanding of the way the world works achieve? Not much. Hmm? Science, frankly, has not increased human lifespan um, by uh, uh, terribly much. The biggest, the biggest. um, Uh, boost in the human uh, lifespan in Britain came actually simply through introducing sewers into cities in the uh, Victorian era and up to the beginning of the 20th century. And then all the billions upon billions of uh, pounds that have been put into the, the British Health Service has done some good, but it's pretty modest. In fact, in a sense, were exactly where they were, they were. A place where in our world with massive need, a great number of disabled people used to lie by the pool, the blind, the lame, and the paralysed. A, a, a place where their, their, their people have to wait years if they ever get healed very often. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, and a place Even 2,000 years ago, there were waiting lists. Did you see that? Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else jumps up the waiting list ahead of me and gets in. To be honest, we're not in a very different situation from that world. And what does Jesus do? Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he first asked him a question Do you want to get well? And then, having attracted the man's attention, Jesus says, verse eight, get up, pick up your mat and walk. But once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked simple word from Jesus transforms that man. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that Jesus will do that, can do that all the time, every day, down through the centuries. That is transparently not the case and it wasn't the case even within the first century. This is not an example that is repeated endlessly in different situations, but it is an example that alerts us to something and that's why John records it. John is wanting to say, Jesus with a word, can do more than uh, we can ever do with our limited understanding of nature. With a word, this man gets up, takes his mat, and goes home. Jesus is more powerful than nature, then, John is saying. (laughs) We'll come back to some of that in a minute. But let's see how the story develops. Because then this surprise that we initially saw with Nicodemus happens again. Jesus is opposed now by religion. He confused religious Nicodemus in chapter three, but now things are hotting up. The um, uh, we are told that it happened on a Sabbath, verse nine. Um, uh, when they were supposed to rest. So the re- Jewish leader said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath, the, Lord for- the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied um, um, to, to, to this uh, sick man. "But the man, replied, the man replied, well, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Um, the man eventually, verse 15, told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Very, very interesting, you see. extraordinary miracle has happened. And what do they do? they start nitpicking about the fact that he has broken the, uh, broken the Jewish law. Um, that, that is the nature of religion. But by religion, I don't mean all desire to know God. I mean the tendency that human beings have to think that there is a set of rules, a set of practices, a set of disciplines that you have to go through in order to get yourself right with God. And then people are of authority to, to um, police those rules. And that is diametrically opposed to Jesus. Those people always find themselves in conflict with Jesus. Because what Jesus does breaks through all that. And with a single word, he has made this person well. And anyone with an ounce of common sense ought to say, wow, that's extraordinary. I want to know this Jesus. I want to hear his words myself. Who knows what he might do in my life? And the religious people said, no, he's broken the law. There must be something wrong. Jesus is greater than nature. And Jesus, as he reveals himself, finds himself opposed more and more by religion of that kind. So what I want you to see before we think about more about how this applies to us is the extraordinary explanation that then Jesus launches into of what is going on. They've challenged him that he has worked on the Sabbath, uh, the day of rest. Look at how he responds, he responds verse 17. In his defence Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and i too am working he is starting here to say some extraordinary things my father do you notice he says that is how the the jews respond in verse 18 they tried all the more to kill him not only was he breaking the sabbath but he was even even calling god his own father Making himself equal with God. Yes, he is. Look at the range of things he says that he does that are exactly what God does. He uniquely imitates God. My father is always at his work and I too work. I'm not going to be confined by the Sabbath he's saying because god sustains his whole universe every millisecond of every day of the uh, of the week month year and god who sustains his universe in that way is my model for how i'm going to work that is how uh, awesome My work is. I am uniquely going to imitate God. He is uniquely obedient to God. Verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So, he sees God the Father, the the eternal God, Doing things and he does the same. And and nothing more. He does only what he sees the Father doing. The action of Jesus and the action of God are a perfect match on one another. He has, then, he says, unique intimacy with God. For the Father loves the Son, verse 20, and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than this, so that you will be amazed. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. There is a love between um, uh, Father and Son, between God and Jesus, which is so intimate that Jesus sees, uh, has revealed to him by the Father absolutely everything that he's doing total knowledge and total intimacy there, there are no secrets between the Father and the Son, says Jesus. Jesus uniquely wields the power of God, verse 21. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The Extraordinary things here. He says God has power even over death. There are a few instances in the Old Testament when people are raised to life from the dead. But as a proof that God is well able to do that. And Jesus says you know God can do that, I can do it too. And more than that, I do it to whom I please to do it. I'm pleased to do it. I, 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 I have this authority, this, 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 this co-equal authority with God in, in, in some sense, so that I don't need to go cap in hand and ask God the Father what to do I can decide if someone rises from the dead. That is how great I am. Jesus then goes on. He says, I judge as God. Verse 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So, so, so God is the judge. God is, God is the high court judge, so, so, so to speak. But here, the Son... Jesus has just been given that whole responsibility onto his shoulders. And then it gets even more mind-blowing. No, Jesus, the Son, is also to be worshipped as God. Verse 23. So that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. How do you honour God? You honour God by bowing the knee before him. You honour God by saying, you are the complete ruler of my life. You honour God by praising him for his majesty and his awesomeness and his eternity and his holiness and, and a thousand one other things, and Jesus says, that's the honour you give me. You give me the same honour that you give to God. Yeah, this, this, this is awesome. You know, it started as a, as, a, as, a, as a little dispute between uh, some religious people and himself about whether he could uh, heal people on the, on the Sabbath. And now now it's just, just 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 expanded into the most extraordinary statements about Jesus himself. And if you think about it, the most extraordinary statements about God. Because God is no longer unitary in a sense. God is, God is no longer sole, single, and um, uh, uh, ruler and creator and judge of the whole universe as we instinctively sense him to be. There is in God, as we said a number of weeks ago, a, a complexity which finally sort of bursts forth when Jesus comes to the earth because there are a whole range of things that are that, that are equally applied to Jesus and yet not in perfect symmetry. God God. And gives Jesus the right to judge. So that now he judges fully of God, of, uh, from God, but, but somehow it is, it, it, is, it is given to him. And that, that continues, that, that, that idea. Um, look at verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who... Uh, 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 who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. I'm on the wrong... Am I on the wrong thing? No, no. Um, uh, Excuse me. He gives life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live, will hear the voice of the Son of God, and will live. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That, 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 that verse is fascinating, because we're given a gift of life, that's what the Bible says. In some senses, life is not intrinsic to us, it is God's gift to us, and the only o- only being in all eternity is God who has life in himself, who has life which is just a-, a part of his essence, and yet he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The theologians describe it as this as with, the, with the, the eternal generation of the Son. There is eternally a difference between them in that God the Father has life in himself and gives that life in himself to God the Son, and yet that life in himself is Godlike, And so they are both equally possessors of intrinsic life. And yet somehow there is eternally... a a, a sort of slightly asymmetric relationship between them. How does that work? Frankly, I do not know. We We are plunging into the mysteries of what God is like, but they are extraordinary and wonderful mysteries. When Jesus was walking the earth, he was the one man in all of history who didn't have life as a gift in the way that we have it. He had life In himself, in his very essence was life. We lose life, disappear into the soil. We possess it for a while, but it goes. He could not lose his life, because he had life in himself. So here are extraordinary statements about Jesus. They go far, far beyond any statement that any other religious leader ever made about himself. If you had if you had tried to say that the Prophet Muhammad said these things about himself, he would have had you beheaded. If you had um, um, come to believe that the Buddha said this about himself, he would have told you that you were still in a cloud of unknowing. If any of the uh, prophets in the Old Testament or any, any great leader of Israel had said these things about himself, he would have been cut off from Israel. And yet Jesus stands there And he says this You you see me, you see God. So let me just uh, say a few things then to perhaps different people here how we may respond to this passage. First of all, a word to religious people. Churches attract religious people. I don't mean those who want to know God. I hope they attract those. I mean those who are tempted to think that the way you know God is set up a whole lot of rules and regulations. You know, in the end, that is fundamentally opposed to Jesus. And Jesus has told us why. Knowing him. It far, far transcends rules and regulations. What we need is not more rules but we need to hear his word. We need to hear him speak and then our life will never be the same. And then a word to those who frankly think this is all tosh and there with all these people at the pool they are naturalists if you want to put it that way they only believe in the natural visible world you may have to queue for a long time at the pool and you may have to accept that uh, that that uh, you will everyone dies in the end but hey that's all there is and all this stuff that jesus is claiming Beyond that, well, that is so much tosh. Let me say, how can you be so confident of that? Actually, it was Bertrand Russell who, um, who was an atheist, who um, blew such confidence out of the water. Russell told a story, uh, uh, I think in some versions it's a chicken, let's let it be a turkey in this uh, this version. The story of a turkey. Um, Every day, uh, the turkey was fed by the farmer. And the turkey, because he was a scientist, uh, noticed that this happened absolutely regularly. So, Because it happened absolutely regularly, every day, he concluded this is a law of nature, or this is a law of farming, that every day, forever, food will be given by the farmer. And he settled into it. Until one day, a week before Christmas, he realised how wrong he was. Just because things regularly happen one way cannot mean they always will. The Bible claims, as Jesus has said, that there is a day when everyone will hear the voice of Jesus and everyone will rise to face judgment. And science of its nature Cannot prove or disprove that. A scientist who believes that that is disproved because of the regularity of the world that they have noticed up to now is as silly as that Christmas turkey. You have to judge it on other grounds. Jesus has given those grounds signs, miracles that he did in history examine whether they have historical verisimilitude whether it, it could have happened. Don't dismiss it and just say these things don't happen that is to prejudge the issue and then listen to what Jesus is saying and see if in the end it doesn't make sense because in fact the vast majority of all human beings have an inkling that there is something beyond death. Jesus says, absolutely there is. And what there is, is that every single person will face me. Don't be like the Christmas turkey. Look at him seriously. Seriously. Decide whether it makes sense. And then perhaps the word that uh, any of us here who are not yet following Jesus need to hear is what Jesus says to this man in verse 14. He's done a lovely miracle for him, but he's acutely aware he's not done as much as Uh, there isn't as much happened in this man's life as he wants to see see you're well again he says stop sinning or something worse may happen to you it was not enough that he was just medically cured Jesus wanted this man to become a follower of his so that on the last day when he did rise and face judgment That Jesus could say, this one belongs to me. And then a word to those of us here who are believers, who have come to believe these things, mind-blowing though they are. And who do believe that actually Jesus has spoken to us and we have begun to enjoy life now which will go on beyond the grave. A word to you. Live as someone who is unstoppably alive. You do not need to have that that shadow of death hanging over your life. You do not need to desperately try to prove yourself and create some immortal legacy. You, you do not need to plunge into despair and depression when things don't seem to be going so well and, and it seems downhill from, from now on. Because all you need to do is enjoy knowing and loving Jesus and just do what he tells you to do. And that may be completely unnoticed by the world, but it will not be be unnoticed by him. And when he speaks to you on that last day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You do not need to live under the shadow of your own death. You are unstoppably alive if Jesus has given you that life. John Dunn wrote this. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful for thou, for thou er art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past, we wake eternally. And death shall be no more. Death thou shalt die. Live as those who are unstoppably alive.